The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We will talk about the Bucks getting hot at the right time. We're going to also talk about the potential Dennis Schroeder trade. Schroeder? 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 We'll talk about that. you got to get that German name right. And lastly, we will talk about why I think this is the most painful Super Bowl for Packer fans. Uh, so we'll get into all of that on today's show. Make sure you're following us along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports everywhere else. If you're new to the show, welcome. Make sure you're subscribing. Uh, rate review while you're at it. Um, if you're a longtime listener, make sure you have done your rating and reviewing on your plat- podcast platform, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, whether it's something I don't even know about. So let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and their great weekend. Milwaukee Bucks blew out the Portland Trailblazers and the Los Angeles Clippers this weekend. The Bucks put 137 on both. Now, some people might say, Charlie, it's not a big deal. It's just the Blazers and the Clippers. Like, we, we need to see them beat good teams, and then we can talk if they're back. I would argue the opposite, and I, here's why. The Milwaukee Bucks have been beating good teams all season. The Milwaukee Bucks have been taking care of business against the teams that they actually give a shit against. You saw what they did against the Brooklyn Nets. You saw what they did against the Golden State Warriors in the last month. Those were teams that the Bucks knew like they wanted to send a message to. They knew that they put a lot of focus and effort in. I feel like you're going to see the same type of effort when they play the Phoenix Suns on Thursday night. But when they there are teams where the Bucks didn't take them too seriously and the Bucks were like, ah, it's just another team. We're not worried about this team, whether it be in the Eastern Conference, whether it be as a finals opponent, we just kind of lag off and sort of say, ah, it's not really, it's not really for us. We're we're okay. We can we can kind of take it easy, take a step back, and just you know kind of not show up. And that's been kind of the problem for the Bucks all season. And my argument has been that the Bucks at some point needed to start showing that fire. They needed to start looking like the best team in basketball because I know they are. I just think they, whether it be burned out, whether it be knowing to not exert too much energy in the regular season, the Bucks were kind of like. I don't really want to play. Now, they've changed their defense since that Denver debacle. They've went to more of a switching defense versus a blitz, and that has really helped. And basically the feedback from Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday after that Denver game where we wondered, was that a big deal? Was it not? It actually was a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal in the sense that like it was a rebel against Bud. Bud heard their feedback, said, all right, we're going to try it your way, see what happens. And sure enough, sort of that swagger that the Bucks have had in the past returned. You know, The run against the Clippers was one of the better ones of the season. The Blazers' just overall domination from start to finish was you know, really good for Milwaukee. Bobby Portis has been critical of their third quarters, calling them trash, and he's been right. I mean, they have the worst defensive rating in third quarters of anybody in the NBA. Now, we'll see if that has changed or that will change if the Bucks continue on this trajectory and success that they have. But Milwaukee really has played well in these last really two and a half games, two and a, th- a quarter games. Because I look back at that Washington finish, and I, I thought maybe that's a springboard. Maybe that's what the Bucks needed to say, all right, we got to stop fucking around against these shit teams, and we got to play our basketball because we are the best team in the NBA. We're the best team in the NBA East. 
a one seed while we proved out last year was not that important still would be nice to have to make sure that every game seven ran through the Viser forum and the eastern conference is going to be really good like the eastern conference this year is better than it's been in years past i love bill simmons you guys know that but him saying like the east is in shambles i i really disagree with that because I think there are so many good teams in the East that the East looks more like the West and the West looks like it's pretty much decided. It's the Suns and the Warriors and then it's everybody else, maybe the Grizzlies as well. But again, the Grizzlies haven't proved it in the playoffs and we've seen time and again, and the Bucks are included in this, the young team who does not show up in the playoffs and the struggles of a young team in the playoffs. It's very rare for a young team to break through that and not go through at least one sort of devastating playoff loss. We saw it even with like Orlando. I guess that would be the only example of maybe a team who expedited it because Orlando, you know, was able to basically beat Chicago in these in these semifinals, and they beat Indiana in a, in a game seven, and they're able to get to the finals with a young Shaq and a young Penny. Young Nick Anderson, I, I think that's the example of Memphis, where they, if they were able to bypass it all, and then they crumbled against a Houston team that was a six seed, remember? A Houston team that I've referred, compared the Bucks to, where they didn't really take a lot of the regular season too seriously and turned it on when it mattered, and Houston then sweeps Orlando. Now, that sweep was a lot closer than it was. Oklahoma City would be another example of this, but they still had some growing pains before getting to the finals. It wasn't just a one one and done and you're in the finals. So that's where I look at the West and I say, all right, it's Phoenix and it's Golden State. And for the East, it could be Milwaukee. It could be Miami. Brooklyn's a complete shit show. Philadelphia. Um, I think right now it's Milwaukee, Philly, and Miami in some order as the three teams to really look at as top tier contenders. But I then think your Toronto's, your Chicago's, your Charlotte's can be very tricky. And they can just be a thorn in your side. Cleveland, too. They got Karis LeVert, which we can talk about when we talk about Dennis Schroeder. But I think it matters for the Bucks to get a one seed or a two seed because of how good the East is this year and how it's going to be a lot tougher road than maybe what the Bucks dealt with last year. I know you might look at me crazy. You're like, they play the Heat, the Nets, and the Hawks. The Hawks was maybe the easiest of the three, which you but I, even that was tough because Giannis got hurt. So like, it it's never easy in the playoffs, but I think it it might be even harder this year. And for the Bucks to kind of start finding their swagger and they're only one back of the one seed, they kind of smell blood in the water. The Heat keep winning with they've had their injury issues all year. Uh, the Bulls are starting to kind of fade. Levine was out yesterday in that important game against the Sixers. They're now. 0-6, I think, against Miami, Philly, and, and Milwaukee. They've lost to Miami twice. They've lost to Philly three times, lost to Milwaukee once. So they're 0-6 against that top tier we talked about. That's not good. That, to me, tells me, at best, you're set at a, a Eastern semifinals team. That's it. Because I don't know if the Bulls have the size to match with what the Bucks and the Sixers do. And beat at 40-10 and 10 and just absolutely own Vucevic. Vucevic cannot handle Embiid. Vucevic cannot handle Giannis. He cannot play defense. And Vucevic looks like a guy who is a, was a stat patter. And looks like a guy who took advantage of playing on a bad team. And just got a ton of shots. And I don't really 
think that fondly of Vucevic. I don't think the Bulls can move off of Vucevic for somebody else. But if the Bulls, let's say, and I have no idea what their cap situation is, but the Bulls were able to get a guy like Serge Ibaka, right? Like, I saw my guy Shafty, who Shafty Bro must follow for Bucks Twitter. He just, he's great. He, he retweets a bunch. If you're, if you don't like a guy retweeting a lot, I get it. But like, he retweets a lot of insightful shit into my timeline about the Bucks that he follows just a great group of people. So anyways, he made a comment that if I was an Eastern Conference team, I'd be trying to trade for Serge Ibaka. And I cannot agree more. And I would love the Bucks to trade for Serge Ibaka, honestly. But if I were, you know, Philly, I was Chicago, I were Miami, like I would look at Serge Ibaka and be like, that's a guy that A, gives Giannis a little bit of fits. I realize Giannis had like 28 points. And he's a guy that's a nightmare matchup for how the Bucks play defense. And Serge, you know, obviously had that big series with Toronto. It's not to say he couldn't do it again. And so I would look at Serge Ibaka and be like, okay, yeah, Serge Ibaka is that guy for, for potentially what's to come. So now we look at the rest of this week for Milwaukee. They go to Los Angeles. They stay in Los Angeles, which... It screams, we're just going to spend a ton of time at strip clubs and nightclubs for the next two nights, and hopefully we'll have our legs for the Lakers. Because the Lakers, I mean, they have been a shit show. Um, they nearly lost to the Knicks. They need to come back. Uh, they were down 15 at halftime. They gave up 71 points to a really bad Knicks team, and the Knicks ended up not being able to close out the deal. It went to overtime, and the Lakers pulled away from there. And then you have Phoenix, who Phoenix has been really good. And I want to talk to Mitch more about that Bucks phoenix matchup when we do tapping the keg because I, I think there's a lot more to that. And I think it may be the next rivalry. It might not be. Uh, but, yeah, Bucks, the Suns are going to want blood. The Suns are going to want to send a message. But we've seen when there's teams that want to send a message and the Bucks are locked in and focused, they send the message right back. So that, to me, is a very interesting matchup. It doesn't, you know, have any sort of – curtail for the seat for the regular postseason doesn't like indicate like oh the bucks are screwed if they face the suns in the postseason we already beat the suns we know what we know what it takes it's the exact same team it's the question of are the suns going to look any different in sort of what they do against the bucks in the regular season my guess is they would not show a ton of stuff and they would just save it for if there was a finals matchup again between the two teams so that's the bucks week uh, then they get some time off before heading home and playing a Monday game against the Portland Trailblazers, who they already disposed of. And I would imagine that the Bucks, you know, they have a nice little stretch here. They have them, Indiana, and then they finish with Philly. And Philly's another locked-in matchup. So there's a realistic shot here that the Bucks could A, be the one seed at the All-Star break. B, they could rattle off, you know, six straight wins if possible. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Milwaukee. I'm very excited that they're playing well. Um, just hitting three-point shots for this team is is a thing of beauty. The way Giannis has been drilling them, the way Bobby the last few games has been great. Pat Connaughton found his stroke finally. It's good shit, man. It's really exciting and definitely looking forward to what the Bucks have in store this week. Moving on to Dennis Schroeder. So you heard us talk about Serge Ibaka there. Uh, Dennis Schroeder has been apparently... In the Bucks radar, uh, it's closing potentially. Uh, according to Matt Moore of the Action Network, uh, Matt's pretty plugged in. You know how I always say, trust your sources on this type of stuff. Matt Moore said that Dennis Schroeder is basically going to either go to the Bulls or the Bucks. The Celtics have both offers on the table, and the Celtics are going to make a decision on Dennis Schroeder. 
So that's going to be what what should happen in the next few days. So who knows if Schroeder is going to be a buck or he's going to be a bull. But either way, it seems like the Bucks are making an effort for a backup point guard. Some would ask why people would feel like George Hill is enough. I've looked at George Hill this year and I think he's washed up. I really do. I do not think George Hill is the same player that we saw couple of years ago. Unfortunately, I feel like George Hill has been over the hill. Uh, no pun intended. I know it, it's an easy pun, but seriously, I, I just don't see it with George Hill, especially in closing time. Not to say George Hill needs to be in closing time. I'd argue Dante DiVincenzo, or not Dante, excuse me, Grayson Allen. Uh, Grayson Allen would be the guy that I'd want in closing time over George Hill. But it's just a guy that I don't know if I can trust. And I don't know if it's a guy that I want as my backup point guard. I think there is a lot, there are a lot of talented point guards in the NBA, in the Eastern Conference. And to have George Hill have 15 minutes and give Drew Holiday breathers seems a little bit shaky. I realize that they won a NBA Finals with Jeff Teague being their fucking backup point guard. But I think the Bucks are like, let's not do this over again. You know, they had moments where Drew Holiday got in foul trouble or Drew Holiday just was not making baskets and you had to rely on Jeff Teague. And they and it was, those were scary hours. Those were like, holy shit, Jeff Teague's in the game. Hold on to your butts. Can they get a little bit more from Dennis Schroeder versus George Hill? I just think George Hill doesn't have it. I think the last few weeks he's been out with neck soreness. Uh, but George Hill has not really played well. They're, they had that game against Memphis. But that was really the only game where George Hill in the last month has sort of stood out. And I, I think that that's what the Bucks are looking at and saying, all right, actually we don't need a wing if we don't need a big guy. Or we, we are going to get a big guy too, but we're going to add a guard as well. And we're going to kind of make our bench better. And some people are like, Bud and Schroeder had issues. Yes, Bud and Schroeder did have issues. Uh, they were apparently not the best of friends. But if Mike Boonholzer looks at Giannis's leadership and says, we didn't have a guy like Giannis that could rein in Dennis, then that might be all right. And you look at when Dennis was at his best was with Oklahoma City when he was playing under the tutelage of Chris Paul. So when you have maybe that good clubhouse and that good vibes, the Bucks might say, all right, we can bring Dennis in and Dennis isn't going to cause a problem because he's going to be all in. He's going to be all in on winning a championship. And he's moved around a lot. And there are some, you know, head scratching plays with Dennis Schroeder, but maybe he can kind of convince himself that he just takes it to the rack, plays good defense. Giannis will, Giannis and Brooke, when Brooke's back, will absolve some of his defensive mistakes. He's had some bad defensive moments at the guard position, but I bet if you put his defensive rating with George Hill's defensive rating, I don't know how different it is. So I really do think that Dennis Schroeder is a guy that could fit with the Bucks. It makes sense. I would agree that it's not my top priority, but it obviously is something the Bucks are looking at and saying, how do we make sure that Drew Holiday is A, fresh, but B, if he gets into foul trouble or heaven forbid he gets hurt. And remember, Drew Holiday's had some injury issues in the past. You know, do we make sure that we have proper coverage? Because if Hill went down for a couple weeks, like, it, it, Hill could not do it. Like, Hill, Hill would be a complete, you know, target. Like, they would be hunting him like Holiday hunted Luke Kennard in the start of the first fourth quarter yesterday. Like, so I think Schroeder makes a lot of sense for the Bucks, And I think the Bucks are going to look at that as a real option. And who knows? We'll see if Horace can get it done or if the Bulls end up topping the the Bucks offer. And I don't want the Bucks to overpay for Dennis, but he is a cheap contract that the Bucks can easily move off of next season. 
Real quick on the Karis LeVert trade. So Karis LeVert got traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Ricky Rubio and a bunch of draft picks. The Indiana Pacers finally look like they're selling. Uh, the Pacers fell to the Cleveland Cavaliers after a Cavalanche happened in the end of the third quarter and into the early fourth. I appreciated that because I had Cavs minus five, so I really liked the Cavalanche there. The Cavs obviously make their push to go all in. Uh, a lot of people are excited about this. I look at Karis LeVert and I do see like he fits the mold of what Cleveland wants to be. He fits the length. He adds a little bit of size on the wing. He gives them an actual wing scorer so they don't have to rely on Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Kevin Love, and and they because they really don't have anybody right now at the guard position as Darius Garland and Colin Sexton are both battling injuries. So now you have LeVert to kind of steady those ties. The worry that you have with Levert is that he is a ball hog. He is a guy that has a high usage rate. So the question is, is he able to fit in? Is he going to buy in to the culture? So kind of what we talked about with Schroeder, right? But is there really a Giannis on the Cleveland Cavaliers? Like, is there really a leader to tell Levert, like, hey, dude, like, we're all in on this thing. Like, you got to be in or get the fuck out. I don't know. I don't know if that exists. Like, I get that they're having an awesome year. I'm getting that, you know, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley are having fantastic seasons. Darius Garland's an all-star. Like, they are a good fucking team, but they're a very young team. And I don't know if they have an established leader yet. And, and that, to me, worries me when you're trying to get a guy out of old habits. Now, I liked Karis LeVert a lot when he played for Brooklyn, when he played for Kenny Atkinson before Brooklyn decided to become a super team, which we can talk about them in a second here. But I I thought that, you know, as he's gotten older and he's gotten more confident, there are times where it's like, all right, it's Karis's time to like show up, right? Like it's not necessarily he's content with, you know, a, a half where he has two points. He needs to kind of get the ball and he needs to try to score. And if he doesn't, he kind of checks out. So the question is, can the Cavs fix some of that? I don't know. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch in the next month because they have basically a month, month and a half to gel before the playoffs start. And will Karras fit in? Or is he going to be one that demands the last shot and kind of throw off what they've been trying to do for the last, I don't know, three or four months We'll just have to see. It's a good contract. It's a nice trade. They gave up a lot, a lot of picks. I, looking at it for Cleveland, I would have probably done Eric Gordon instead. I know that a lot of people were pushing the idea of Eric Gordon to Cleveland. I would have preferred Eric Gordon, just given the fact that Eric Gordon has, you know, two years left on his deal, similarly to Levert. He can shoot the lights out. He's been there before. I think that's the other thing. Like, Levert has not made it out of the first round. He doesn't know what playoff basketball is like if it hit him on the ass. Eric Gordon has. Eric Gordon's been there. Eric Gordon's been to a, a conference finals. Eric Gordon, while maybe not necessarily a leader, quote-unquote, he certainly knows what it takes to get there. He certainly knows what an intense Game 6 or Game 7 is all about. Karis LeVert doesn't know shit. And so that's another worry I think I have with Karis. Now, they have Kevin Love, who's been there before, but I don't really view Kevin Love as a leader. I just don't. I think... 
what Kevin Love has done in a lot of ways is one of the more annoying sort of sports things in the last, I don't know, two or three years where he was completely checked out. He hated his team. He wanted to get traded. They're like, no, you have too expensive a contract. The, the Cavs start playing well, and all of a sudden, Kevin Love finds himself. He's the fucking pussy, dude. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I hate that shit. I really do, and it's annoying. And I, I hate that Kevin Love get, kind of gets away with it. Uh, he skirts by because I think he's really well liked in the media. So nobody criticizes Kevin Love. And they, and they really should. Because Kevin Love committed highway robbery for two or three years. And now all of a sudden knows how to play basketball again. It's ridiculous. I thought I had something else. Oh, Brooklyn really quick. So with Brooklyn, I can't believe they are in the situation that they are. They've lost eight straight games. They're in the playing game. They have completely fallen apart. Uh, James Harden wants out again. James Harden can't believe that he has to be the guy. It seems like it might happen that Ben Simmons and James Harden get traded for each other. And But Philly does not want to give up Tyrese Maxey, which I would agree with. Tyrese Maxey is a hell of a player. I would not give him up for James Harden. Matisse Thibel is a guy that's also been mentioned. Um, we'll see. We'll just have to see what happens here because... It changes the entire dynamic of the East. I would not want James Harden if I were a Philly fan. I would look at what they have and said, we can do this with Embiid. Maybe we need to get a little bit better on the perimeter. Eric Gordon, another another guy. I know I just brought him up, but like he would be a perfect guy for for Houston, right? Or for Philly. And I know Houston doesn't want to deal with Daryl, and there's all those issues and Tillman Furtada, and or it's Furtida. You want to say Furtada because that's what the uh, breakfast is, right? But it's for whatever. So Tillman doesn't want to deal with with Philly, but like Eric Gordon would be a perfect fucking fit for Philadelphia exactly what they could need and I'm not saying like he would be a star like Embiid but another reputable role player that you can put around Embiid and that can make three-point shots like that is what Joel Embiid needs Joel Embiid I don't know if he needs Harden like I just the dynamic of those two guys I don't see it working I really don't I feel like he needs a Middleton and James Harden is not a Chris Middleton he needs a guy who's going to be okay with maybe, you know, not necessarily having the ball all the time, but making big shots when it matters and coming through in the clutch when maybe all the focus is on the big guy. And that's kind of what he needs. He needs a Middleton type player. And maybe Middleton's one of one. Maybe there's just not a lot of Chris Middleton's out there. But James Harden does not strike me as a Chris Middleton. So I don't know why Embiid would be pushing for this. And I don't know if he is. And it'd be really interesting to have a beer with him and be like, what do you think about Harden? And see what he says. Because I would be fascinated to know what Embiid thinks here. Because I, I have to think he has a little bit of trepidation. There's no way he can't. And this is all driven by Daryl. Because Daryl has a fucking obsession with James Harden. And the question is, is why? Why does Maury think that James Harden can be this great hero of the game, right? And maybe hero's strong. But like this great, like you know, superstar, and he is a superstar in the sense of popularity and, you know, media hit, everything, but he's not really a superstar when it comes to the game on the court, and so I just, I don't, I don't see it. I, James, James Harden has crumbled like a fucking cookie when it comes to big moments, and he's shrunk in those big moments. What makes him think that he's going to change it all in Philly with Embiid? I have no idea. All right, let's talk about the NBA, and then let's ride out of here, or I'm sorry, Let's talk about the NFL and the Super Bowl real quick, and then we'll ride out of here. 
So the Super Bowl is happening on Sunday. It's the Bengals. It's the Rams. There's a ton of hype so far about the Super Bowl. I think that's natural. I think we hear this all the time. Like, oh, there's not a lot of talk about the Super Bowl. I just think that people, it's been a long NFL season. There are so many other things going on right now in the NFL with the Brian Flores stuff, with the commanders, now not, now not the football team, having more legal issues with Daniel Snyder. You have the thing that just came out today from Mike Florio about that the Flategate was basically an NFL cover-up, not the Patriots cover-up, and the NFL is trying to cover their ass. So everything about the NFL right now is off the field. Alvin Kamara, one of the stars of the game, just got arrested for battery in Vegas. Like, there are a lot of issues going on in the NFL that are not related to on the field. So that's where it takes away from the Rams and the Bengals. On top of that, it was a really long season. This is exhausting. Like, we are halfway through February and we're still dealing with football. This is his dream, but I do wonder if it's too much. I wonder if people will tune out. I don't think the ratings are going to be that good for the Super Bowl. And I know that NBC sold out inventory and all this stuff. I just think there's no casual fan angle. Maybe the Joe Burrow stuff. But even then, I don't think casual fans are all in on Joe Burrow. I could see the ratings being a step down. But I look at it from a Packer fan perspective. And I was going to do like a long thing I decided not to. Uh, if like this is the most painful Super Bowl for Packer fans. And I think it might be. I really do. And we hear all the time, I'm not going to watch a game or I'm going to I'm gonna turn it off or like I can't take it. This should be the Packers. Like, yeah, you got to win the fucking games. But I thought about it and I'm like, this is the first Super Bowl I think for Packer fans where they're like, we could have easily won. We could have easily be the Super Bowl champions. Now, I know I said it last year. I was like, well, if Packers had David Bakhtiari, they, they would have won that Super Bowl. And they would have, it would be the, the Buccaneers and they would beat the Chiefs. Sure, but the Chiefs are still the Chiefs, right? They're still Patrick Mahomes. I realize the Chiefs had a ton of problems in that Super Bowl, but why would they, they have the same problems against the Packers that they did against Buccaneers? We don't know, right? The Chiefs were still the boogeyman. When the Packers lost the 49ers in the 2019 NFC Championship game, 49ers were clearly the better team. And then you watch them in the Super Bowl, and no way could the Packers have kept up with that Chiefs team. They just couldn't. They weren't that good defensively that year. They would have got their asses kicked. They got their asses kicked against Atlanta, and then they had to play New England. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when the Packers would lose these brutal games, Tom Brady and the Patriots were waiting. 2007, undefeated Patriots team. So even if they were to beat that team, Tom Brady and the Patriots were waiting for them at the finish line. So that that hurts, right? That's where it's like, okay, they would have definitely been able to get past Brady, or they wouldn't. They would have had to face an undefeated Brady team. That that's a, that's a tall task. 2011, when they they were 15 and one, they still would have had to face Tom, and that would have been an issue. And they would have had to play a Harbaugh 49ers team that was on the rise. Remember, Stanford, the Giants had to beat the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco to get to that Super Bowl in what was an absolutely wild game. 2014, when the Seahawks got there, they were right there with that Patriots team, but the Seahawks blew a 10-point lead, and then Malcolm Butler picks off Russell Wilson in the end zone. Would you have rather had the Brandon Bostic play, or would you rather had Aaron Rodgers get picked off in the end zone? I personally would rather had Brandon Bostic play than that having what happened with Aaron Rodgers and losing a 10-point lead and having an interception thrown in the end zone. I don't know about you guys. That's just how I feel. And I'm not saying it would have happened. I mean, it could have been an entirely different game. 
But I think where I'm trying to get at about the pain is like there was always something better waiting for you. There was always this team waiting like the Patriots where you're like, wow, they're the best team in football. How do we know that the Packers would have won the Super Bowl? The team that was waiting for them was the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Cincinnati Bengals were a team that the Packers took care of business with. And the Bengals did what they did against the Chiefs where they crawled back. They kept themselves in that football game. And it was the only time all year that Evan McPherson looked normal. That he didn't have ice in his veins. That he struggled. And there was it was a weird game because there were so many missed field goals. And the Packers ended up escaping. But they would have a full game plan against Cincinnati. They would know what they wanted to do against Cincinnati. LaFleur has a relationship with Zach Taylor. So there would be a lot of you know similarities and knowing what Cincinnati wanted to do and the Packers would be a team that no one would be cheering for besides Green Bay fans because everybody would be at Cincinnati kind of like how they are right now because I think everybody wants to see Joe Burrow do it versus the Rams although there's the Matt Stafford angle there's the Detroit angle there is you know I think a lot of people like Cooper Cup I think OBJ has his fan base I think Von Miller does too so I do think that because LA has a lot of stars that there is more of a love for LA than there would be if Green Bay was here. So I think it hurts more knowing that there's not a team like the Patriots or the Chiefs waiting on the other side. The only thing that I feel like comes close is like the 2003 Super Bowl. So the 2003 Super Bowl was the Panthers and the New England Patriots. But that New England Patriots team was not the Patriots of the years of late Brady. This was early Brady. This would have been far versus Brady. The, the Packers lost on a fail Mary. And so similarly to the 49ers losing in the next round, the Eagles then go out and can't score against Carolina. The Eagles score, I think, nine points in that game. I think Carolina wins 14-9. So the Eagles look completely lifeless at home in Andy Reid's special, where Andy Reid loses again in the conference championship. And the Packers could have easily been there against the New England Patriots. Carolina's... I think they had two Super Bowls because they got there again with Cam and they would lose that one pretty handily. But this one, they lost in the last second on a Vinatieri kick. Now, there could have been a real good chance the Packers get there and the Packers win that Super Bowl. And the Packers would then have yet another Super Bowl to add to their list. And it would feel a lot better than right now having only one in 96 and one in 2010. And you could look at the last two years and say, yeah, could have been there. This one to me feels a lot like 2003 where you have a young team like Cincinnati similar to that young team in New England and this was a window of opportunity that you just let slip by. Now the window can reopen up next year but who knows right? And what if you have faced the Bills? What if the Packers get there next year but they have to face the Bills? Or the Los Angeles Chargers figure it out and now you have a Chargers team that has a mix of young and experience with a good defensive coach like Brandon Staley. What if Mahomes and the Chiefs get back there and you have the last sort of ride for Andy Reid? What if Lamar Jackson takes his game to another level? Or you have Cincinnati trying to repeat, whether it's a Super Bowl or to try to finally finish the deal, and Cincinnati has a year of experience under their belt. So I I just think this is a miss of a window of opportunity, and I, I do think that this is a painful one for Packer fans more than years past. And I just think it's going to stick with them. I think that it's going to be one that will sort of feel a little bit worse than others. Uh, but I do think the Packers fans will watch and get over it. And if the Rams win, maybe, yeah, it should have been the Packers. Or if the Bengals win, 
Maybe it's just that they're a team of destiny and that they have, they were destined to do this. So we'll talk a little bit more about you know that sort of angle with Mitch later this week. We'll do a lot of deadline stuff this week. We'll talk about Bucks Lakers um, after Thursday's show or on Wednesday, as well as all the college basketball. We got big college, big day of hoops on Tuesday for the sit the state. You have Marquette UConn. You have Wisconsin, Michigan State, and you have Bucks Lakers. So really good day of hoops for everybody in the city and the state. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.